Art takes, not hot takes. This is Everyone is Wrong, a counterintuitive pop culture podcast. I'm your host, Seth Sommerfeld. Thanks for listening. Oh, hello again. It's been a while. I've been on break due to a combination of traveling, moving, and starting work. I'm now stationed in Spokane, Washington, where I'm the music editor at The Inlander. So sorry for the break in pods, but we won't uh, dwell on that too much. The day this pod drops is also the first day of this year's World Series. And with that in mind, we thought we'd do a little uh, baseball chatter, specifically one that we teased before on a prior episode, the Space Jam episode to be specific. So my guest today is a master of hot ice, someone who correctly predicted most of Space Jam 2's awfulness, and also someone who probably could have played left field for the Mariners for the past two decades, and it wouldn't have noticeably impacted their win totals. He steps to the mound today to defend the 1993 kids baseball comedy Rookie of the Year from anyone trying to throw at its head. Everyone is wrong, but Nate Barrymore isn't. Thanks for coming on again, Nate. Thank you for having me. This is great. I'm, I'm glad that I got to end up talking about this movie. It rules. And I'm furious that it is not well received. <laughs> yeah, we actually, if for those of you who listened to the Space Jam episode, we kind of like chatted about it at the end, like... And I'm like, you can always come back to do something else. And you were like, eh, maybe rookie of the year. And I'm like, and we were both kind of like, we're not sure if that's like, if pe- we thought people generally liked it more than I think yeah. the reality turned out to be. So uh, it turns out it fits. But uh, also the Space Jam episode is probably the one that I uh, have received the most positive feedback from. So <laughs> returning favorite, Nate. <laughs> But yeah, we will just hop right in and we can always get random Space Jam 2 thoughts uh, maybe near the <laughs> end. <laughs> so let's get into the background of Rookie of the Year. Rookie of the Year is a 1993 family sports movie about a 12-year-old boy becoming a pitcher for the Chicago Cubs after a freak injury essentially grants him pitching superpowers. The film stars Thomas Ian Nichols as kid baseball star Henry Rowengardner. Gary Busey as Cubs nearly washed ace Chet Rocket Stedman, and Amy Morton as Henry's single mom, Mary. The film also features John Candy in a large but completely uncredited role as the Cubs announcer, essentially Harry Carey. He's uncredited because he wasn't cast until after the initial edit of the film, and then the studio is like, we'll give you some more money, so go shoot some John Candy scenes where he's announcing. The film to date is the lone directorial effort of Daniel Stern, who everyone would recognize as Joe Pesci's wet bandit partner in failed crime from the first two Home Alone movies, or Phil from the City Slickers movies, or as the comedic relief in this movie, the zany pitching coach Phil Brickma. As for the plot, when we first encounter Henry, it becomes clear that he is terrible at baseball despite dreaming of being a star player. He can barely get subbed into his little league games, and when he does, the results are disastrous. Despite this, his best friends George and Clark still support him, and his crush Becky still seems to like him. When a member of his baseball team tries to humiliate him in the schoolyard by hitting a ball he can't catch, Henry tries for the snag but slips on another ball left on the ground, resulting in an arm broken in multiple places. When Henry's awkward cast comes off, the doctor notices the tendons have healed in an unusually tight and fused manner. The 
results of this tightness become clear when Henry and his buddies go to a Cubs game. Henry tries to throw back a home run ball surrendered by Cubs pitcher Chet Stedman. And when Henry does, his toss rockets all the way back to the catcher on a frozen rope. Seeing this, the Cubs general manager, Larry Fisher, sends a lackey to find Henry and signs him almost immediately. The GM wants this as a publicity stunt because in some strange logic, the Cubs need to sell out every game or the owner will default. And somehow the general manager has a vested interest in that because he wants to like steal the team from the owner if they don't default. It's very convoluted. We'll get into that. (laughs) Another douche nozzle in the form of Henry's mom's boyfriend inserts himself as Henry's manager to sleaze up the proceedings even further. Henry soon joins the Cubs starts to get mentorship from Stedman, and the team makes an improbable playoff push on the strength of Henry's miraculous arm. Rookie of the Year was released on July 9th, 1993. It was a box office success, making $56.5 million against a $31 million budget. Now, before we get to the critical reception, what is your relationship with Rookie of the Year, Nate? My relationship to Rookie of the Year is... This might be like really dating myself in a very narrow window of time. But for me, it was one of those things like when you're a kid and you have like six VHSs that you just watch over and over and over. Right. I think I think we talked about this with the space yes, it, pod that, as well. It, it was it was in the VHS, was in the VHS rotation. rotation. It was like that Little Mermaid. Oh, a couple other things. A Princess Bride was there. Right. Like these, just these movies I've seen like a zillion million times. Right. So that's kind of where, like, my love of Space Jam sort of continued the whole way through to my now, into my adulthood. And I had sort of, like, forgotten about Rookie of the Year. And I had recently rewatched it and was like, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. And then, yeah, so when we, when we on the last pod, started talking about, like, what's another thing I could do? And I found out that people didn't like this movie. I was one appalled and immediately was like, oh, yeah, we're, I got to do I got to do this one. It's it's incredible. Uh, and it has like a, a very lovely place in my heart. Yeah. As for me, I remember seeing it as a kid. And, you know, it's just one of those movies where you're like, oh, I really like the general premise of this. Like, uh, it's that wish fulfillment kind of thing where you're like, that'd be so cool if I did that. And I didn't remember a lot of the specifics of it until I rewatched it, you know, just for this pod. Other than like, I, I remember all the like pitching stuff, but I didn't remember. And I remembered a couple of the lines from Brickma, like the hot ice. And I remember some of like the pitcher taunts, but not, not a lot. Like I didn't have that. Like I watched it a hundred times on VHS recall and note for people who do want to watch this. This movie is on Disney plus currently. So it is pretty widely and easily available to a lot of, people who do streaming stuff. Go watch this movie. It's awesome. <laughs> so let's get into the critical reception, some of which disagrees with Nate's assessment. As we mentioned, it, I was just kind of surprised by the like Rotten Tomatoes scores of this. Rookie of the Year sits at only 35% on Rotten Tomatoes. And unlike many 90s kids movies, which also might not be reviewed super highly, it's also only got a 52% audience score. Which kind of surprised me. I thought there'd be like the nostalgia bump for that where it'd be like at least in like the high 60s or something like that where it's I should also say that there aren't 
a ton of reviews. It's not like this is one of those movies that has like 500 reviews on Rotten Tomatoes from the 90s. It's one that has like 30 or something like that. Still, not a great score. A few of the thoughts from critics. Malcolm Johnson of the Hartford Current in a review titled Rookie Plays Like It Was Made by One wrote, Ending after inning, Rookie of the Year goes down swinging ignominiously. It's strictly Bush League stuff. He particularly did not like Stern's directing and acting performances. Kind of tactlessly wondering, like, the lead of it is, like, was he in a motorcycle accident without a helmet? Which is, like, what Gary Busey was in real life. This is is going for (laughs) And, like, he made that comparison. Yeah, it's just, like, weird. And, like, he then, like, this is his thoughts on Stern. Sporting zany pointy sideburns and a floor walker's sharp fussy mustache stern behaves like a saint vitus dance poster boy whenever he puts himself on camera even in an otherwise decent baseball movie his performance would constitute a ludicrous miscue but in a film as flimsy and clumsily directed as this one stern's obnoxious lunatic embarrassing performance delivers a smashing fatal coup de gras. Perhaps Stern saw the weakness of Sam Harper's script and decided he should step out boldly to juice up its lame storyline, or maybe he was worried justifiably about the star power of his leading boy, an unprepossessing rodent-toothed kid named Thomas Ian Nicholas. <laughs> so... I don't know. This Malcolm guy just kind of seems like a dick. Yeah. <laughs> um, but he's not alone in disliking Rookie of the Year. James Berardinelli of Real Views gave it 0.5 stars. Not great. The Independence uh, Quentin Curtis said, If you don't know baseball, you won't understand the climax. If you do, you'll find it preposterous. Which is probably fair, but also I don't know if you want your baseball movie reviews from the UK critics. <laughs> like, if you understand what baseball is, I mean, he's from the Independent, but he's no uh, Trent Krim, uh, so to speak. Chris Hicks of the Deseret News was more lukewarm uh, in the panning of the film, uh, writing the first third of Rookie of the Year is hysterically funny. But then the film settles into a sentimental rut, only to get picked up again here and there with amusing bits. The performances are so wildly uneven, ranging from rooted and realistic to goofy and over the top. Which is kind of true. And on the more positive side, Hollis Chacona of the Austin Chronicle opined, Maybe I should be feeling as guilty as I think Joel Siegel should feel every time he delivers an oh-so-heartfelt hurrah for, quote, the feel-good movie of the summer, end quote, even if it is, say, his 12th feel-good movie of the summer. Maybe I've had it up to my armpits with celluloid-spawned know-it-all smart-mouthed kids and know-nothing irresponsible adults. Maybe I'm one run down in the bottom of the ninth and swinging at a real sucker pitch, but I went after Rookie of the Year. Fastball, curveball, and sinker. And Roger Ebert liked the movie. Roger Ebert, who usually, as we've come to find, 
is supporting all these movies that everybody yeah roger does gets not it. like roger. that much <laughs> roger roger is the um patron saint in some ways of uh, this podcast i think roger ebert liked this movie giving it three stars kind of a qualified three stars his main thing was he empathized with henry as a fellow cruddy little leaguer writing when i was a kid i think i might have liked rookie of the year a lot I am no longer a kid, and this movie is not likely to make my list of the year's best, but I can remember all those miserable Little League games, and so in a modest way, I'm grateful for this film. It is pure wish fulfillment 40 years after I needed it. And then he concluded his review, I really shouldn't give it three stars, but I'm going to anyway. Call it a form of revenge for all those hours of dread I spent in right field. <laughs> <laughs> so Nate, why is everyone wrong about Rookie of the Year? It's great. It's so good. It's like a perfect 12-year-old wish fulfillment movie. Like if you look at it through that lens, it absolutely nails nails it out of the park. I'm not going to go to bat for anything Daniel Stern does in this movie, but every every <laughs> other part of it, every other part of it is really really great. Yeah. So yeah, I think that I think that's kind of your first point is that it just sort of captures that spirit of being a twelve-year-old. This is really well directed in the first opening sequence when it's like it's opening day of the Cubs, and it's like this, you know, it's it's the grand part of baseball where it's like a cathedral, and someone hits it out into the vines of Wrigley Field, and it smashes to the 12 year old Henry Rowan Gardner, like going up against a wall that has vines and making a catch and like doing the thing where like you're pretending to be part of the team that you love and like the, on the team that matters. And it was like, it really understands the imagination Mm -hmm. of that age. And like so many of the mannerisms, like they just run everywhere. Yeah. Like, like kids, there's like a, it's whoever it's like the if the this movie has you know sports movies have sports consultants if this one had like a kid consultant you'd be like that guy nailed the kid consultant stuff that, that person yeah that person deserves a raise because it's like yeah I don't I don't want to walk I hate walking there's no no I'm just gonna sprint to the thing I'm excited about right, right? like there's a uh, there's a there's a moment when when they get the tickets from his mom. Yeah, his mom gives them the tickets that eventually lead to him being discovered by the Cubs because yeah, he go got the, he gets his cast off, and they're just like Cubs tickets. Ah, yeah. And while that's happening, she's going down the escalator the regular way, and they're going down the one that's going up. So they're like running down it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, "That's the most twelve-year-old thing you can do. like. That's the most twelve-year-old thing you can do." And it's just like there's moments like that all throughout the movie that are just so like fun and correct. Mm-hmm. There, I mean, there, like, yeah, there's lots that like stick out. Like, I mean, you mentioned the, the imagination thing keeps going like back. Even when he's on the team, they're like get on Wrigley field and they're still like playing imaginary baseball. Yes. Uh, you yeah. know, he he's pitching into the like laundry machine, imagining, because he realizes like i'm not good and his mom's like maybe you should be a pitcher uh your dad was a pitcher which uh questionable narrative from the mom but uh (laughs) we can get to that later and yeah i mean they're the way that the kids interact like um like he just has this crew of three buddies and it's very much 
like how you have friends at that age. Yes, it's also my favorite. This is just like a, a real small thing, but his mom clearly likes one of his friends more than the other friend. It's very <laughs> weird at the start because it's like it's it's just like a weird take choice because they're like, hey, they're it, like, it hey, George. She's she's like, hey, George. And she's like, hey, Clark, like kind of yeah, like it, she puts a little smoke on it. It's a little weird. There is. A, there's a, I will say there's a little too much smoke on the Clark line reading for sure. But just like obvious, like there is that sort of thing where it's like, oh yeah, you know your mom likes Clark better than George, like, right? <laughs> and you're right, like, <laughs> um, the, those types of things, like the idea, he gets fined like five hundred dollars for being late to practice one day, and he's like, that's three years of allowance, like that's how you think, right? You don't have any concept of like how money. I mean, there's also. Um mentioning the friends sort of a subplot is they're they have one of the like the weird kid hobbies where it's like we're gonna like build a boat and it's like we don't know what we're doing and we're just like collecting scraps and like (laughs) i love that subplot so much because it pays off in like a really fun way where they like eventually they build this boat and it is a shitty boat like it's a boat that like 12 year olds would make and like it is spewing poison out the back yeah like (laughs) it has a motor on it and it's just like yeah but also like it express like they are so stoked and totally like if you built a boat as a 12 year old and it worked right you'd be like i'm the coolest dude in the world yeah, and a, 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 a couple more notes on that. When they get the boat running, they just have like a box full of like bags of like chips, which is yes. like very like just like Cheetos and like all this. And I don't know how because then they invite like all their like tidy girlfriends essentially on the boat, and it yeah. stays like afloat. That's the the maybe the most improbable like part of this movie, <laughs> yes, where a twelve year old plays Major League movie. Baseball, is that boat didn't sink with. Uh, six kids in it but also the boat becomes like the little minor wedge they to divide like henry and his friends where it's like one day he's doing like a ad campaign and he's like shows up late to like boat making hangout time (laughs) and they get like super pissed at each other and they're like fighting and then this is like the ultimate like 12 year oldness 12 year old boyness of it they're like fighting and then like the next day they go back and he's like oh yeah are you coming along like it's just like <laughs> yeah. that thing is like bo- like young boys being like i will like fight you tomorrow and be like you're my best friend still like the next day you're like yeah, yeah we fought yesterday <laughs> whatever whatever it reminds you me you of, showed up today we're good yeah there, there's <laughs> there's a there's a song that i love on uh from off book the improvised musical podcast uh this year that was all about boys like trying to make a river out of a ditch they dug behind their house <laughs> and it's like exactly the subplot except like switch yes. in like boat <laughs> and uh it's fabulous and it just reminded me of that yeah just one more thing about the boat the like weird one-to-one that you make as a 12 year old where like his his love interest her dad has a boat Mm -hmm. and like one of his friends is like, well, her dad has a boat. We have a boat. Like we can fight her on our boat. (laughs) Like, 
you guys are not in the same boat. Like, (laughs) (laughs) literally and figuratively, not the same. Yeah, not the same. You have nothing to talk about about these boats. (laughs) Yeah, but that's another realm where I think it's very like nails this age group. It's just sort of that like quasi romantic subplot where it's just like all like awkwardness and very clearly she's into him and he is just like yeah, not very clearly everybody's into each other and they just like can't do the part where they make it work <laughs> like like the one one girl comes over early when like becky is like staring at henry and the way that she puts it i i wrote down is she's like you know she doesn't think you're very ugly yeah. like as the way of being like she's indie like she doesn't not like you like <laughs> that sort of uh backwards you know logic and then the then the other stuff that fits is just kind of the like childish stuff he does when he's on the cubs be it like taunting over talking like yeah. he, he like he's cheering on like rocket from the uh clubhouse and he's just like saying like random things like what one point he's just like go get him ah and like one he says do the do for some reason it's just like he's trying to like <laughs> grasp at stuff and uh when he's in the locker room they do like a musical joke where he's like looking at the other guy's jock straps and it's like burr, oh, yes. <laughs> burr. and then he like looks down at himself and it's like a little pickle like do he, his voice cracks when he first comes to like say it's like hi guys like when he first comes to the dugout uh yeah it's just lots of lots of that very kid kid stuff and it also nails like how cool it would be to be able to play ba- like to be able to play baseball when you're a 12 year old he's like he's ne- he's never like not stoked about the moment which is like just really fun right and true like right i think that leads into like your next point where it's that this movie very much understands the wonder of baseball yeah it like kind of like going back to what i was talking about the the opening yeah the opening sequence is very much like the majesty of baseball like these cuts of like here's the people handing out tickets and here's the like grass being mowed and you know just like all the opening day prep and that like kind of the magic of spring yeah and it it's one of those things right where you because it happens 162 times a year you can kind of take it for granted Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways the baseball season is a boring grind for a lot of it yes right yeah 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 and especially like it's it's a great idea to do it at wrigley because that place is like right it is one of those places where it's like this is like a cathedral to baseball. Yeah. And it has that big sense of wonder to it and kind of going, you know, back through it, it is one of those things where to be able to see it again through like a 12 year old's eyes of how big and cool and interesting all of it is, uh, is just like really, really fun to, to see as opposed to, the idea of like oh yeah we're that's just on again sort right. of thing yeah and like this movie really hypes up the wonder almost like overkill sometimes like henry and his friends go to the cubs game and you know they get the like stoked 12 year old like oh my gosh we're going to the cubs game where we're like riding the rail there it, just like walking in and it's majesty but then like he gets signed by the cubs and they like 
park to like go into the stadium the next day and like they look at Wrigley and they're like, oh, my gosh, Wrigley Field. And it's like you were like literally there yesterday. <laughs> yeah. And then even as it goes, like every time he comes onto the field, even after he's been on the team for like a, like months, he's just like, yeah. oh, my gosh, like Wrigley Field. Like it's very <laughs> the, the his walk through the the clubhouse the first time as well. Yeah, is is great where it's like, yeah, whoa, like I admire all of these people. Like they, it, it helps you really remember when baseball players were like larger than life to you. Right. Where it's like, wow, wheelie. And then it, it does give like, like even in that opening scene, he goes and asks Rocket for like an autograph where it's just like, yes. I'm your new teammate. <laughs> Can you sign my baseball? Can you sign it, Rocket? <laughs> He's like, rrr, rrr, rrr. that's this is that's Gary Busey in this movie. Rrr, 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 rrr. <laughs> it's a lot less of the like I don't know action or stuff like that. It's it's more like a vibe that you get from the movie. There's not like specific moments that it has other than that big kind of opening. Right. Uh, that really lock it in. But it, it does like give a lot of space to like let a, a big moment breathe, mm-hmm. which in a, in, a, in a movie that needs to like move as fast as this does and is still like adding John Candy and Daniel Stern scenes to get to 100 minutes. Right. <laughs> um, it, it can still take like that that time to just show you how big and cool and interesting baseball kind of can be yeah it's like the the majesty and wonder aspect is kind of captured in those like in not in the actual baseball scenes but in like kind of those henry perspective scenes where it's just like it's kind of like letting things breathe a little bit and just being like overwhelmed by the by the situation but yeah i I do think it like captures that in in a way that some baseball movies don't because they're so um concerned with like the sport of it yeah yeah, you know, yeah, like you have to like if you're watching, I don't know, like the rook, the rookie, is that is that the one? Not rookie of the year, but the rookie, the Dennis Quaid one. Yes, yes. Where it's just like <laughs> that's about like him like playing baseball well, rather than being like overwhelmed by the like majesty. Yeah, how of the cool sport. baseball is. Yeah. Right. So your third point is a unique one. So I will just uh, let you set that one up. Yeah. After his tendons fuse together. Uh, we should say his 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 cast is like it's basically like uh, like a cactus arm. If you yeah. tried to like cactus if you did your two arms cactus out. arms, it's like that. That was also one of the kids' moments that like felt r- really real. Is like people would just like be like, "Hi Henry, bye Henry." Every time he like walked by with his cast, because yes. it just like <laughs> looks like he's like up waving. But uh, yes, when everyone when everyone puts their hands down for like a, a question in class too, and his hand is still up. That was a great like that. There's there's moments like that that are actually very great. Yeah. So he's has this like cactus arm out and he's going to the doctor and the doctor is kind of putting him through the motions and he has him put his arm out and bring it back and then bring it forward slowly. And he just whips this doctor right in the face. He basically like breaks his nose. Yes. And the doctor yells the best exclamation in cinema history and or human history 
and he just yells, funky butt loving, which is the funniest thing. It makes no sense. It makes no sense. It, he could have just been like, ouch. Only, like, it has no... It has no uh, like definition to itself other than itself. Like it is, it's a, it's almost an automatopoeia. The bone is fine, but the uh, tendons have fused with the humerus. <laughs> is that bad? It's unusual. Uh, let's take a look. Okay, let's start with the fingers. Good, good. Now raise the arm. Good, good. Now to the side. Good. Uh, now bend at the elbow. Good, good. And now rotate from the shoulder slowly. Oh! 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 oh, oh. Funky butt loving. Did he say funky butt loving? Oh! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's just such a weird. Like it. It sounds like something that they went back and like edited in like like a bad like edit for tv of like an actual curse yes, actual you know curse like the TV. like the snakes on a plane or like a stranger in the alps yeah from yeah. um big lebowski situation except it's just the line in the movie as if this would be <laughs> something that someone would say spontaneously when they got hit in the nose not like ouch almost- or like oh or gosh darn it, you know, like most most movies like the would just have like like dang nabbit, you know, like something that's an actual thing. And they chose funky it's, butt loving. It's so unique and weird that it almost feels like someone came up with the phrase funky butt loving and then wrote the rest of the movie around it. <laughs> it's so weird because it also does sound like like when you break it, you're like that's like dirtier. It sounds dirtier than a lot of like the things yes. that would be like. It seems like that should be like censored in like a PG movie like this. If this yes. is even PG, it might be G. I don't even know. The way it's exclaimed as well, like the the two friends turn to each other. <laughs> And are like funky butt loving, like that's that changes everyone in that room's life forever. And it's like a short piece of the movie, and it doesn't matter. Doesn't at all. attach and to anything. Stuck with me my entire life. Like, <laughs> how often do you say funky butt loving in your day to day? At least like three times a year. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you got you got to hold on to. Hold on to those gems that uh, really speak to yeah, you. Yeah. Like, <laughs> we don't need to dwell on uh, too much funky butt. Oh, that's a full bullet point of why this movie is yes. good, though. <laughs> One of the five pillars is funky butt loving. <laughs> now, moving on to something that uh, lasts more than uh, three seconds of the movie. <laughs> Your fourth point is? I think it does a great job of like understanding what villains are in this movie and like what the stakes are and like what matters to our protagonist. Like the three villains you have are like the, the mom boyfriend, the like GM slash owner's nephew and the guy who plays for the Mets, who's just like (laughs) infinity roids. (laughs) He he basically looks like, 
Thanos if he was like roided up. Like he is yes, so jacked. He, <laughs> he is, is like absurd. Like jacked. he looks. He makes like Mark McGuire look like puny. You know, yeah, it's it's like a full blown bodybuilder. It's like a world's strongest man. <laughs> yeah, it's he is just all the veins in the like his neck is a small tree trunk, but the like fact that greed is a villain mm-hmm. in a in like a sports movie is just it's like really great where it's like yeah the thing that matters to our protagonist is like going out and having fun playing baseball yeah this is a kids movie so we will just say spoilers here for some reason if you haven't seen it oh, yeah. basically he just like quits because he wants to spend time with his friends at the end of the year yeah <laughs> and like, like going into the playoffs he's just like no i'm out you're like you're our closer, so I don't. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll get into the weird playoff implications a little bit later. But yeah, he yeah. it's uh yeah the the whole like his mom's boyfriend is trying to like squeeze him and tries to like you know sell yeah, him off. The GM is the Yankees. Yeah, yeah. So this I should say right here the stakes. Like I understand you like it's your point is villain setup good stakes or whatever the stakes in this movie are just baffling a lot of the time like the actual like lot like if you break them down with like any logic it's like i would understand like how people would be like this movie is weird and not great because like this doesn't make any sense so like no it it spends no time thinking about like why how (laughs) baseball works or how playoffs works or how interactions between teams work like so yeah they're just like straight sell him to the yankees yeah we'll we'll break down the three villains right now so the first one is let's go with the gm and yeah his thing okay for some reason as we stated before the cubs need to like sell out sell out every single game for the rest of the year or they will like default and no longer be like own the team question mark (laughs) which what is and then somehow the gm's gonna like take over because of it because it's like his uncle like the owner is his uncle and like if they don't default he like yeah will take over and there's like two lines of dialogue that set all this up too so yeah (laughs) and it's just like well you're an owner and i mean this is the 90s so it's there could actually be like millionaire owners instead of just like billionaire owners. Yeah. Um, but still, it's just like, I don't feel like, cause it's also pretty far into the season. It's like, I feel like 13, yeah, it's, it's like, it's like, I don't think like, you know, th- probably like 10 games of home revenue. You couldn't like get a loan and be like, Hey, like <laughs> whatever bank in Chicago, like uh, give us, alone so we don't have to default the cubs and like move them to like oklahoma city or something i don't i don't understand so he, it's one of the yeah he's he's an easy one like he doesn't really have a personal connection to henry much which like makes him like an easy fun like kind of throwaway villain who yeah just you, you're just to, like he's just like trying to make m- money on all these sides like by him but yeah. it's like kind of disconnected and you know the like the other evil quote unquote evil thing he does which transitions into the next person also is like he gets rid of rocket basically he's like 
we're going to, in a weird way, like, because they're basically, when they get to the Yankees deal, the manager boyfriend is like, you have to get rid of Rocket. And they're like, okay, Rocket, it's 10 games left and the season's on the line and we're going to shut you down and get rid of you after the season, which is just like a weird, like, they didn't just like cut yeah. him, <laughs> which then leads to him pitching again. Anyway, but then, uh, so that's the GM. Then there's the mom's boyfriend manager the, guy the who's just the sleazeball of all sleazeballs. So great as like a multi-layered villain of like being greedy and then also just being a person you don't want your mom to date. Yeah, that's very much like when we meet him, Henry's just like, why are you still dating this guy? Yeah, he why sucks. are you still dating this guy? He like he can't, he, he, can't, he could barely get in and out of his like, low sports cars <laughs> yeah he's also his face the entire movie is just like spewing villainy in a <laughs> yeah, way yeah. that is he's got an incredibly his, punchable face and in fact it does, it does get punched punch. i realized that as soon as it left my mouth <laughs> <laughs> and i i did not remember how like unhinged his like weird rant at the end is but it's so big. Like, he's just chewing the scenery. It's incredible. It's one of those things where it's, like, so cathartic when he gets punched right. by the mom that it is, like, they've set him up so well in every single moment to be truly hateable mm-hmm. for, like, simple reasons of, like, he wants money and he wants to date my mom and I don't like him. Right. Boom. Done. Like simple motivations, yeah. and he's just bad all the way through. No nuance. You don't need it. So there's the thing where he's going to get sold to the Yankees, which it's not how baseball works. No, <laughs> um, but it's just like basically the GM's like, "Hey, we could make money off him. We're gonna sell him. Why don't you have his mom like sign this contract when you she's not paying attention?" And then on the set of this way too sexy, yeah, Pepsi commercial. <laughs> we'll, we'll get into that. We'll get into that in the junk drawer. But there is, yeah, like a twenty-five million dollar contract to sell, which is not a thing. And then he's like lording it over them and just like. I'm in charge of you. Like <laughs> just like pure, like kids movie, like easy villain. Yeah. And then the mom eventually slugs him in the face, which is great. And then the third villainous person who's like, actually probably the easiest person to be like, Oh yeah, this is just like the stereotypical. Again, kind of goes back to the 12 year old thing of like, this is the largest human I've ever seen. He is the most terrifying person. Yeah. He he. So it's this it's this Met slugger, and the very first time Henry comes into pitch, he just like crushes him. And then he's also the guy who they, he needs to strike out at the end of the movie to win the game and win the division. He also says they eat fastballs like that for breakfast, which is great when <laughs> yes. he crushes that first one. It's I I I just love the idea that your on-field nemesis is just a person who can hit fastballs because it's the only pitch he can throw. Right. Like he throws like what he throws like 103 and that's it. Yeah. Like that's his whole deal. <laughs> and just someone who can just hit fastballs that are that fast is like 
a simple, easy to understand villain. Mm-hmm. And he's mean. Like he's a mean person who can hit fastballs, and that's it. That's he's just the thing. antithesis of Henry. <laughs> it's very much like a David versus Goliath setup. Totally. Yes. And the fact that it's also like what brings him down is just like basically like hubris, where it's just like yes, you know, Henry. So at the end of the movie, Henry slips on another ball as he's going out for the final inning, and like on like lands on his. It's like a reverse Freaky Friday, where it's just like he lands on his shoulder and he's not good anymore. When he lands, he should be dead. (laughs) He takes some hard falls. It is the most violent fall. It is the most violent fall I've ever seen. It's also weird because it's just like he basically falls in the exact same way that the last time was like multiple arm breaks on like. Yes. When he was on like the. Yeah, I guess it's because it was on grass. are loose now. Yeah. But uh, yeah, and th- that whole sequence, I, I feel like we could get into that. A little but uh, yeah, yeah he-, he ends up, you know, winning because he's the hero, overcoming all these villainous bad men who, uh, good for Henry, good for Henry. <laughs> so uh, we'll transition into our fifth point, which is a character specific point about a character that you love in this movie. And that is. I love this. Yeah, I love the mom. The mom's the best. Yeah, Mary the mom, Henry's mom is Mary the mom. A very like protective single mom. She's like fiery and caring and has a lot of personality. Yeah. It's one of those things where I mean this was this was also an era in which Disney was like, "Oops, no moms. We that no one has a mom." <laughs> all the moms <laughs> mysteriously died off Yeah, screen. all the moms are gone. I think to have her as a single mom was also really interesting where she wasn't just like coddling him and protecting him sort of thing. She was like, no, you have to like do stuff. Like you have to go do laundry. Like you have to, <laughs> Right. she was like fully kind of taking no shit. And then the idea like really early on in the movie that they establish her as like a real life person Right. Where it's through it's through Henry's eyes that where she's like, Oh, I don't like that you're dating this guy. But she's like, Yeah, I'm gonna date again though. Like it's I'm gonna date. Like you're gonna have to deal with that, kid. Yeah. Like <laughs> you're not my whole damn life. <laughs> sort yeah. of thing. And she has lots of like great mom moments, whether it be like, You're getting your cast off. We're gonna give you I'm I saved up and got you guys Cubs tickets. And not only did yeah. I get you a Cubs ticket, I got it for your two buddies because and you guys go. I don't need to like be there chaperoning you. You guys go have fun. <laughs> just wild, just like loose twelve year olds. It's city life. It's city people. life. It's it's different. Uh, yeah, it was the nineties too. That was <laughs> yeah. And like the first time he walks on the field, she's like, "He's so cute." Like just like very oh. like <laughs> absolutely what a mom of a twelve year old when he's yes. walking out to a major league field would be like, not like. Not like overly worrying to start, but the first thought would be, "Oh, he's adorable." Oh, what a little little, little sweetie! <laughs> when she's like at her like florist job, when they're on the road, and he has to bat. Yeah, <laughs> and she like almost stabs the customer who she like waves over to watch, and he says something reasonable. <laughs> he's like at like something and like she- like that was like a. Fide pit like though he had to throw yeah, that, that pitch. Was, <laughs> it's not anywhere She's, near him. <laughs> it's like I'm gonna shank you with this, with my shears. And just 
there's some like weird places this movie goes and it's all sort of surrounding the mom in terms of like towards the end when they figure out that like his dad wasn't a pitcher. So yeah, they established, we should say that like his mom was always telling him that like his dad was a pitcher. So like when he's sucking at baseball as an outfielder, she's like, maybe you should try pitching. Your uh, dad was a pitcher and all this. And, and then it, you know, it comes to light that his, his dad left when basically she was like a teen mom and he bounced, but yeah, but like he knew this, but, uh, he, yeah, like she just does, kept telling him the story. Take those emotional stakes away immediately. Yeah, but the fact that they like reached out for that is another one of those things where, like, there's just like there's there's this, I think, really interesting like layer. It's like a really interesting layered character for a mom character in a kids movie where she could just kind of be a throwaway, but she's like really interesting and important. And then the fact that it's like her. <laughs> I really enjoy the fact that they're able to have just full blown conversations when he's on the mound and she's. He in just the finds her like instantly and they're like talking. He finds her instantly and they're both like talking in kind of a whisper. And, and they're like amazing lip reading. The, the lip reading genes yeah, in this family are insane. They have amazing eyesight. <laughs> the payoff of like the two times she floats the sunscreen to him. To turn that into how he gets the last strike for the last hour. Right. He realizes that he looks at his glove and he pulls off this little tag that I guess he never noticed before. Weird. <laughs> and it's, it says Mary underneath. And it's like, oh, she was the pitcher all along. Played softball, I guess. And just had a good underhand uh, pitch. So that's what he strikes out the big slugger with. Because he's not used to the ball coming in slow at that angle. But also on uh, the mom angle, like when she ends up like punching the like boyfriend manager and like literally she punches him so hard that he like they're in like the entryway. She punches him. He like goes through the door and like all the way down their stairs. It's like a serious, some serious like power on that. The part that got me was that after that they do like something like muttering and he's like, oh, that was so cool. And it's. And like one of the lines, she's like, "Oh yeah," she's like, "Maybe I should have killed him." <laughs> she like legitimately says that. She goes, "Oh, that felt so good." <laughs> it's very like a uh, mama bear like energy. Like maybe yeah. I should have like ripped off his head. <laughs> like okay, wow, that uh, that took a turn. I felt like punching was, was probably lot. enough. Uh, I mean, he's, that guy sucks, but it's not like. I don't know. <laughs> he doesn't need to be like executed for kind of sucking. <laughs> I trust her. I trust it. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Uh, great. So I think that covers the five major points of defense. Is there anything you wanted to get to in the junk drawer? Any extra thoughts or feelings about the movie? Things that didn't come up when we were discussing the five main points there? So many things, just all of all of Gary Busey's everything. Yeah, Gary Busey. So Gary Busey in this movie is kind of, you know, he's the father figure to Henry, essentially. The, he's playing entirely on gruffness. It's just like that. He's yeah. the ultimate old dog being replaced by fresh blood, except the fresh blood this time is a 12-year-old. He's a 12-year-old. <laughs> and, I mean, he's not the, like, 
best picture, both in terms of like in the narrative and also just like in terms of movie stars pitching. He's not the most like yes. believable one. Like he's just like kind of tossing. It's not Bull Durham where you're like, ah, it seems no. like he yeah, could yeah, actually yeah. pitch. My, one of my favorite things is 100% of the time after he throws, he holds his arm and grimaces <laughs> yeah. in a way where it's like, you got to get this guy off the mound. <laughs> like, he's, he's a danger to himself. He's, like, he's going, ah, ow. Like every single pitch, like you can't have that guy out there. Yeah. Like that's not a, that's no longer a starter. Like, <laughs> and eventually like he, like when he's in the final game and he like basically like tears his rotator cuff or whatever. And like, you just can't yeah. even like throw the ball <laughs> yeah. on like a defensive play. But also a weird choice is they like, basically indicate this by having like a wacky guitar riff they're like well yes. it's just like well, when he's like he's like trying to move like trying to move his shoulder and it's like wow it's like oh that's the sound of like a torn labrum or a tone rotator cuff or need of tommy john surgery i guess it's just a very weird choice but yeah this is like weirdly grounded gary Busey. like he's like the most yes. sti- like because gary Busey, you know especially you know, around this time and then after would just get intentionally like crazier and crazier in terms of like his behavior and just the roles that he would take were always like the extreme yes. oddballs. Big and gigantic. Yeah. You know, he's basically just like in, in that sort of Nicholas Cage phylum of like this yes. is uh I don't know what to expect from this and uh You're really gone for it, dude. But no, he's like <laughs> he's very solid in this movie and kind of is like weirdly the stable emotional core because like the mom's moral all over the place henry's just a little like doe-eyed with everything and uh yeah. he's kind of the you know gruff guy that comes around and you feel good when he's like warms to henry and yeah it's a, it yeah, I, I we talked a little bit about the criticism before and where people were like so there feels like a lot of different parts of this movie and like yeah the fact that gary Busey is like a regular person <laughs> And Daniel Stern is like a cartoon character. Yeah. Is, <laughs> is like, yeah, okay. <laughs> Daniel Stern's character is a lot in this. Like, there's some fun moments and stuff, but it's just like, it's so wildly over the top. It's like, it's yeah. very much got, like, when I found out Daniel Stern directed this, a lot of it made sense. Not that, like, he would put him himself, himself in that position, but just kind of even, like, some of the early stuff, the early, like, uh, you know, when Henry's just like around with his friends and like the hijinks before he gets hurt, it just like yes. has that very like Daniel Stern physical comedy like vibe to it. Totally. Yeah. I'm kind of surprised he didn't direct another movie. Not that this is like a masterwork I mean, of money. directing, like, but like it money. made money. Yeah. That's the thing. It's just like usually studios are like, you made money here, do another movie. I mean, he had one story in him, and it was great, and that was. But it's not even like his script. This, but that's the no, thing. that's true. <laughs> so it's just like I don't know. It's just a little odd. Another weird thing is the manager. Yeah. Takes a turn towards the end of the movie into like totally wonky and zany. Yeah, it's very strange. Where, yeah, where he's like, kind of the bit with him earlier is that he's kind of like gruff and can't get henry's last name right yeah he always is saying like rottweiler rosenberger yeah and then 
all of a sudden he's like down on his knees. Yeah, the final is like a weird final moment. Like he's very much like a <laughs> kind of no nonsense manager, and then it, he's like yeah. begging this child to get it out. Like, oh, please, I won't ask anything again. Like, <laughs> just like it's odd, and you know, they like, also uh, one directing thing that stand out i didn't mention when we were talking about the 12 year olds is like the first time the manager comes out to the mound to like talk to henry it's just like he's gig they do it in a way that like he's gigantic and like looking from henry's perspective looking up on him and he looks like a goliath and then down and he looks and henry looks so small and that's another i feel like you know captures that like adult talking to a kid in like a professional setting Yes. <laughs> you know, there's lots of uh, baseball, like, what is happening. <laughs> you know, like, I feel like a script supervisor probably could have came in and be like, what's happening exactly here? Like, they go to the game that Henry gets discovered, and Rocket is pitching. And Rocket is a starting pitcher, ostensibly. They, they, they don't necessarily say it, but he starts the final game. So. Yeah. But then he's also pitching the next day when, like, like he pitches the day that they get discovered, and they then they come back the next day. Starters. They- <laughs> it's like no wonder his <laughs> shoulder like his is so bad. So bad. <laughs> he's pitching every day. This guy is amazing. He's the workhorse. Like he should get the Cy Young, even if his ERA is like seven, because he literally pitched like a thousand innings this year. There's some lines in the last game as well where it's like both to make the playoffs and oh, to yeah. make the World yes. Series. <laughs> I have I have, I like, I have notes wait. on that. They, they say like they're going to win this game, which is to win the division, to go to the World Series. But then this is still in the era like there would still be a league championship series. This is in the this was pre wild card when this came out, but it would still be like you'd go play another National League team. And the wonder if that would go to the World Series. So yeah, it was that that's strange. When Henry comes in for relief in the final game, it's like he comes in at after six innings and then he strikes out like I'm pretty sure seven people in two innings. And that I'm pretty sure yeah, he strikes yeah. out seven people <laughs> and then it's like and now it's the ninth inning. It's like, wait, what? <laughs> that's weird. The what else? Oh, with so pretty early, like after they get a couple wins, they're like, oh, the Cubs are only three games behind the Mets with 15 to play, which is like when you meet the team initially, you're like, this team sucks. Nobody comes to see them. And then it's just like, yes. wait, it's like <laughs> August. And they're like, yeah. And like at most, the at most in the game before Henry goes to the game where he gets discovered, they are five games back with 17 to play. Like at worst, they're like yeah. very much in it. And there is no fans at Wrigley for some <laughs> reason, even though people just go to Wrigley to go to Wrigley. Game. It could have been, it could have been a day game in the middle of the week. It was a day game, but still what other points? Um, I enjoyed the kind of see now owner. Who's kind of just like a goofy kid also who yes that was great he's kind of gets taken advantage of but he's very much like he's just a fun character he, he's, when he's like oh wait <laughs> hot dogs cost more than a dollar yeah he's just like <laughs> out of touch but it, not in like a 
Lucille Bluth kind of way where it's like an arrogant out of touch. He's just like, I don't leave here because I'm like afraid the people wouldn't like me that much. It's like, ah, okay. You're kind of sweet old man. Yeah. The when Henry first goes up to Wrigley, there's a Wizard of Oz sequence at the gate. Yes. So weird. So weird. <laughs> it's it's fun and it's executed well, but it's just like it's very much the like docking on the um Emerald City and like opening up a circle and a guy popping his head out and being like, No, yeah. you can't come in here. It's just like, oh, we're gonna talk our way in. It's very it, it's just like kind of weird because it's a whole referential scene. But yeah, and it's it's like just whole cloth lifted from Wizard of Oz. Like there's yeah. not a, there's not even anything that isn't that. Like <laughs> mm-hmm. I do one of my lines that I liked was when I think it was George, one of Henry's friends, when he's like leaving for the first road trip and he's like going on like he's at the airport and they're like going on the walking sidewalk or whatever. And he <laughs> Henry's leaving, so like <sighs> Let's go back to our dull lives and search for meaning. Yes. It's just like very like existential for like a 12 year old. That was a note. Henry strikes out tiny headed Barry Bonds in this movie. Yeah. Which is great. Yeah. Which is a great notch Not on his belt. Up villain, no, he is Barry Bonds is like, so the guy that met slugger at the end is like, four times the size of this Barry Bond, this version of Barry Bonds. Yes. This was just Barry Bonds when the he was pirates, one pirates of the best players in the league without taking all the steroids. <laughs> I do like a, a partially. So there's only like two or three like actual big league players in here and they just are shown quickly like Henry striking, not even Henry striking them out, just like them swinging and missing and being like, ah, like got us. But I do like how this reminds me back of like I get nostalgic for the time when half of baseball players look like non-athletes. And this very much captures that like John Cruck era, like the pitcher when he, uh, when Henry gets on base is just like a big guy with a mustache. Who's like not (laughs) in shape. And I actually looked it up and he's the pitcher's got a big butt guy. And uh, that's actually that guy was the baseball consultant on the movie who is Tim Stroddard, who was an actual major league pitcher. So it's like, no, that's exactly what major league pitchers look like. They just were like big (laughs) slubby white guys with mustaches who could throw like 91. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Let's see anything else. Oh, the commercial that he shoots that Henry shoots. Oh my God. That commercial is so crazy. It's a Pepsi commercial. It's a Pepsi commercial. That's just like, a child is sexy and playing piano. Like that's the, (laughs) yeah, it's, it's, and the director comes over and is like, I need you to be more sexy to this 12 year old boy. (laughs) Like it is like red flags, like all around. Yeah. (laughs) Like the women come up and are like undoing his tie. And I'm like, what am I, what am I looking at right now? What what is happening in this movie? (laughs) Why is this? Where's child protective services at this moment? Yeah, why, mom? You're here. You're here. You should be. You should be doing something. Yeah. (laughs) I think the the, when Henry slips on the ball at the end of the movie and like loses his power, like right before it, as because he's like leaving the dugout to, uh, you know, just go back and get out, get the outs for the ninth inning, and the teammates are 
like chanting and, you know, going like, hey, go get them and stuff like that. And one of the lines somebody says is, and be careful. Like, oh, yes. Literally, like one second before he slips on the ball, it's like the most unnecessary foreshadowing of all time because it's like something nobody would say if like you wouldn't be like hey you're going out for the ninth inning be careful out there but it's just like be careful ball slip ah it's it's someone says be careful and then they immediately cut to the ball on the ground in a way where no i think they were actually i think the they cut to the ball on the ground before he even says that where it's just like this is coming like yeah, like almost at the same time where it's like it almost turns into like 30 seconds of a horror movie where like you can <laughs> you hear like, like the Jaws theme coming like get out of there. And then I, th- I feel like the last thing that we have to talk about is how just absurd the final sequence is because basically like Henry loses his ability to pitch and yeah. then does not be like, hey, you guys should put in another reliever. <laughs> no, it's, there's no other option. <laughs> it's, he, well, first, first he gets one, he gets one warm up pitch. Right. It's like, oh no. <laughs> and this is not the era they just Major League Baseball like a couple years ago instituted a rule where a reliever has to face like X number of batters. This is not that era. You can pull him out immediately, oh. and and then. The way that Henry gets out of it is he doesn't like a it's like the very like kind of like Harry Potter thing of like tell Dumbledore that there's a problem. And like this, there's like this story ends in like one minute, but he just like keeps everything from everybody. (laughs) Like tell him you're having these weird dreams and then that solves everything. But he doesn't tell anybody. And then he just starts to like trick the catcher into like standing up so he can like intentionally walk in. And just like, what is like? He has zero strategy at that moment. He's just like, I'm just gonna put a bunch of people on base right now, and that's gonna be the solution. Over like, being like, hey guys, I can't. You know, then eventually he does throw. like. Yeah, after the first, after the first one, he's like, everyone come in. I can't even throw. the outfielders. And like, Everybody. we need to I, strategize a way over. that doesn't involve subbing in somebody who can actually pitch. <laughs> and that is one of how the can we things. trick Another, them? It's just it's it's extremely dumb, <laughs> but it's also like so in line with the movie where it's like I'm gonna get you out the way a 12 year old would get you out, right. which is to like a hidden ball trick and then like calling you a chicken. Like <laughs> yeah, he, the three <laughs> out the three outs that he gets is he gets the guy that he walked out. Uh, out on the hidden ball trick then he walks the next guy intentionally and like also the manager like and nobody in the dugout has any idea what's happening and they're like freaking no. out. <laughs> and they don't co- but they don't come to pull him which is what managers out. do <laughs> the second out he intentionally walks the guy and then basically like trash talks him into trying to steal on him and it works yes. and then he finally strikes out the slugger on because he's throwing well first they say he throws change ups which is just like him pitching like 50 <laughs> miles per hour because he's like a 12 yeah. year old and then also, a 12 year old i don't even know if you could get it to the plate like yeah <laughs> so he gets that and basically the take home of that whole sequence is the mets suck 
Like, oh my God. Can you imagine being a Mets fan losing like in this way? Especially since like he this kid like then retires like after this like immediately retires. <laughs> and that 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 should be noted. So they definitely have a playoff series. The movie ends, he's back playing with his friends, but he's wearing his like World Series ring because the Cubs finally won the World Series. Also dangerous to do while you're playing yes. baseball. Don't wear Not, a big gaudy ring gaudy while ring. you're playing baseball. Also, there's no way this Cubs team keeps winning. Like, no, there's no because their because ace, their ace's arm just exploded in guitar their riffs. Like, arm, <laughs> their closer's arm turned into mush, and he retired. Literally, and they lost like their no two key. <laughs> they lost their two key players. They lost their only starting pitcher and their closer. <laughs> They lost basically their only two pitchers. And then they're just like from a team perspective. Imagine if this happened and like the the Cubs, you know, you have this miraculous run. And then it's like, oh, you know, it would be like in the 90s. Like if it would be like, oh, the Mariners just won the wild card. And Randy Johnson is hurt and Ken Griffey Jr. just retired. So like good luck, like mentally, like locking in for the next playoff series. Just like him, he's leaving infinity distractions in the clubhouse and just bouncing. <laughs> like, like peace. <laughs> like also, he. I mean, he, he would think it never gets into it. I imagine he would still like trouble with the team for the like remainder of the playoff series, right? I mean, like, he, I just. I guess him. I don't think he does. I think he's just fully just gone. Bounced. Like that's, it. <laughs> that's not the thing. But he would be part just, of the playoff roster. Just thinking about how it would be in real life too, where like. A starting pitcher started dating a closer's mom. <laughs> like <laughs> it's a I mean I mean what happened with LeBron James at his final that, year of the first Cavs true. run might have been kind of uh might have been kind of similar. It's a classic Henry Rowan Gardner situation. <laughs> I never heard anybody describe that situation. Go look it up if you're not familiar. I didn't hear anybody describe it as a Henry situation, but it was. But it was. Um, anyway, good good on you, Delonte West. Yeah, I th- I think my general takeaway is like, I'm surprised. I think this is like a perfectly fine. Like it's some of the things that are like, I understand the criticisms of like this is absurd in some spots, but you're also like you're on board. It's weird because you're like on board for like the magicalness of the pitching, but then like some of the things that are like less magical in it, you're like this is absurd. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it doesn't necessarily like land all of those, but I mean, it's still like I think this is at worst like, oh yeah, a perfectly serviceable kids baseball movie. That's like and at it's worst, like it's like a, a, like a yeah, like at, I don't see anybody really unless you're being like overly harsh, being like this movie's like makes me upset. <laughs> and it's like like that first critic who wants to. Who won, who, who's like who called who called a 12 year old a rodent yes <laughs> not a nice guy not that dude's not nice awesome so is there anything you would like to uh plug on your way out nate anything you should people should watch i mean last time you were like rookie of the year are there is there a movie oh yeah oh, that, i should shoot my shot again here yeah um <laughs> what else is good uh I think that's mostly. I'll come up with another 
I'll come up with another sport. I'm gonna. I'm just gonna slowly make my way through the sports <laughs> through the '90s child <laughs> sports movies. Yeah, '90s child sports movies. I gotta find a good. Uh, I gotta find a good hockey one. I gotta find a good. Yeah, I mean the um the Becky in this shows up in the Mighty Duck sequels, but I think those are well received. I think. Um, do people like any given Sunday? I think so. I don't know. I feel like that might be a polarizing. Because any given Sunday is not good. (laughs) (laughs) We can do negative episodes. We'll find. We'll find. We'll we'll find more of the uh, Nate Sports. uh, Everyone is wrong catalog to TBD. TBD. (laughs) To be determined. Well, thanks again for coming on. Remember, people, if you want to watch Rookie of the Year, it's on Disney Plus. Go check it out there. If you haven't listened to our Space Jam episode, that was a lot of fun. People, people like it. It was a lot of goofing around on uh, Bill Murray and Daffy Duck. Yeah. Remember, even if everyone else mocks it, love the stuff you love. 